Okay. Um, well, could we just start with a, with a, you know, with your intro, with a, with an introduction of, of who who you are. I wanted you to introduce me, Dan, so I could feel really famous. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we're not quite there yet. <laughs> okay. All right. No, we're here. So, yeah. Don't, I don't, please don't be nervous. I'm so, so honoured that you are someone that is willing to step into the space of even speaking about death, death and dying and potentially the afterlife. Because this is not a topic, a concept, um, a conversation that happens very often. In my work, I see it all the time. So I have absolute, um, reverence for you to even go there the more we can open up these conversations the better to me it's really really every day i am a death doula which most people don't know what that is uh, essentially that is to serve a doula simply means to serve and i serve people at the end of life so supporting people who know that they are dying to prepare for their version not my version their version of a good death um, I'm a funeral celebrant, which is fairly standard. I meet with families. I capture the essence of the person that has died, write, create, and deliver the funeral or the memorial or the farewell on the day. And I am a grief navigator. I'd like to say counsellor, but I hate counselling. I hate talk therapy. I hate talkie-talkies. <laughs> um, I'm more of a companion a navigator, I do a lot of somatic body work, release work, shifting work, grief conversations, conversations with the deceased, things like that. And saying that I'm not completely woo-woo, pretty pretty practical, pretty professional, um, something that, you know, is um, can be assimilated by most people because if I went the woo-woo route, I'd probably have quite a limited audience. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So yeah, that's that's essentially what I do. And people are always asking me how, how do I do that? How do I train in that? I see someone's just put talking about doing training. The theory of this is not really enough. So my training is really briefly. Um, I had a very early experience in life caregiving for my sister who died and she had cancer. Sorry, I haven't been very well. My voice is a bit dodgy. <clears throat> um, she she traveled along um, the journey of living with cancer for six or seven years. So I was her best mate, her caregiver and her companion that whole time. So she taught me a crap load about dying, about the dying and end of life process. And that launched me into looking at that for the rest of my life. So for the last 20 plus years. So I volunteered in hospice. I've been a funeral director with a large franchise and a family company. Um, I'm a funeral celebrant and I do a lot of grief work. So there's a lot of hands-on witnessing and observation of how we do death, what we do, lots of questioning on my part why we do it that way and always asking how we can do it more meaningfully and connectedly like the indigenous cultures really because the western the western world has has a really clinical and very um you know money making very profit driven mm -hmm. oh, hey yeah, jess no. hey yes. yes. uh, i love it yeah I, I didn't even wear any of my scarves tonight well oh well no, I've got my scales in. Here's the thing, Dan. I actually brought a friend as well. Do you want to meet my friend? Sure. I have a friend here. This is my friend. This is my friend, Frank. G'day, Frank. Frank, Frank is our ancestor. He's an actual um, bodily remains. Mm. He's an actual skull. Why he would be <laughs> in my possession? This is what happens if you donate your body to science. Body bequest, you end up clearly in my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you donate your body to science, you end up in my kitchen. That's really bizarre. <laughs> mm. 
Okay, right in on that then. So that body, you know, do you what? Where, what do you think around what? Yeah, can you talk in around um, what your concept of of is of that that body that's right there? That, well, that skull this, okay. you have. Well, this this isn't. Used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I imagine, and look, I've got the entire um, bodily remains of Frank. This is his skull. I have the spine, his pelvis, all the bones, hands, feet. And I can imagine, <laughs> my house is full of dead things. I um, can imagine that that's uncomfortable for someone to have that in their house. He's He lives in my wardrobe usually. But my daughter, who's seven, is quite comfortable with him. This is not... Um, a living, a living being. This is not. This is not energetically confronting for me. However, I hold this in such unbelievable reverence because this is the remains of someone who walked this earth. This is the mm. remains of someone who opted to donate their body to science. And look, he ended up being used in um, the study of chiropractic and physiotherapy to look at the bones, which we would never do now. This is from a long time ago. And to think that your remains will be used and studied, it's just incredible. I'm fascinated by the fact that we are all reduced to bones. People don't understand that if you are cremated, what comes out of that extreme heat of the uh, cremator is still bones. We cannot reduce ourselves to nothing. So what comes out of the cremator is our, our skeleton intact. It's very porous, but it gets ground down into ashes. So no matter your demise or your method of disposal, I hate to say disposal, but that's what they call it, we are all reduced to bones. You're buried or you're cremated. And um, it fascinates me that we are all the same and that we have this incredibly vulnerable and fragile scaffolding that carries us through this this world we are you know in our flesh suit <laughs> but this is not who we are however i'm big on ancestors and i'm big on our spiritual board of directors so i treat him like a family member like i don't you know this is not a this is not a gag it's not for show he is a very <laughs> integral part of what i do because at some point he journeyed through this life just like we are like it just blows my mind, but this you know there's no essence of him that remains mm -hmm. in my view. I could be right, have I could be wrong. <laughs> have you had any experience around around that essence spirit with with Frank? No, no, nothing. um I was looking at him tonight and talking to him. He's actually got a very small skull. I don't even know it's a him. Mm. I just call him Frank compared to my massive gargantuan head. It's a very small skull, and I was having a good look in his mouth. His mouth opens. Having a good look at his teeth. And, um, like, his wisdom teeth aren't through. I wish I was a forensic anthropologist or whatever that could study this. Anybody on here that? And my daughter said to me, oh, my God, Mummy, is, is that a child? I was like, it's a very small boned person culturally, like it could be Asian or it's quite a young person, I think, I feel. But I said to him tonight, tell me about you, get in touch, but there's no sense of anything, which is probably good. Because there's been a lot of that in my, as you can imagine, Dan, there's been a lot of that in my career. There's been a lot of um, connections from the people that I have served that mm. are deceased. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk to one of those for us, please? Okay. So I say I'm not. Yeah, I say I'm not woo woo because you know I do a lot of traditional funerals and I deal with a lot of beautiful. I've got a funeral on Friday. The an Irish gentleman who's ninety two, and if I go and speak to his eighty nine year old wife and talk about how life doesn't actually end, how. Pretty much every culture apart from Western culture does not see death as the cessation of us, as the cessation of life. They see it as a pause or a temporary transition to the afterlife. We're the ones that see it as the massive big full stop. So I don't speak of the woo-woo, but the most profound thing that happened to me was I knew I was called to do this work. 
So I went from a very professional career working in a university in administration, stepped straight out of that and went and became a funeral director for <laughs> a male, a purely male-driven family business that were misogynistic and they got their kicks from scaring me in the mortuary. You know, like, mm -hmm. they weren't woke blokes, yeah? They weren't woke blokes like you. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't woke bogans. They were bogans, but they weren't woke bogans. Right, and um, mm -hmm. to their credit, you know, honestly, to their credit, from day one, they got me in the mortuary and they wanted me to be freaked out by every deceased person that I saw. Mm. So going from a corporate world and then stepping every day into this tiny room, this mortuary, where there was somebody laid out dead on the table and then all the uh, storage space behind you, you know, they've got like drawers mm -hmm. full of also deceased. So profound and really feeling and understanding our mortality, really viscerally going, fucking hell, this is it. This is what we are. And it was like when I was in that room and nothing else mattered, nothing else operated outside of that room. My heart cracked so open. My focus was there and I became the most spiritual I've ever been in my life, for want of a better word. <clears throat> and what happened was these beautiful people started talking to me. So the very first person that did that was a beautiful old lady who reminded me of my nana. And I was standing in there looking at her, just admiring her with a, such a sense that she wasn't there. She wasn't there. You look at a dead, a dead person and you're so aware there's no essence, no energy, yet you can almost feel them around you. They're not there, but they're there. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thinking how peaceful she was and how beautiful, and I heard her giggle, like really giggle, so much so that I went, I looked over and the mortuary assistant was a born-again Christian. <laughs> and he was like, what's up? What are you doing? And I was like, nothing, nothing. And he goes, no, something, because you reacted. And I was like, no, nah, nothing. And so I ended up saying to him, did you hear that? She's giggling. And she said to me, I'm so glad that I get to be your first. Isn't that beautiful? That is amazing. Yeah, wow. And it's like, it's like I just heard it in my head. I didn't hear it in my ear. I didn't hear it outside of myself. Um, but I just heard it really powerfully. And I ended up telling him, and he tried to convert me to Christianity and told me that it was Satan. Satan fucking with me. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I, yeah, I laughed and said, well, if it is, let him have his fun. It's not hurting anybody. Like it, it wasn't mm -hmm. Satan telling me to go out and dance naked in the moonlight and steal children and burn them. It was <laughs> the voices of these beautiful people. And then it happened all the time. But she was a, a beautiful old lady who looked very peaceful. And then from that moment on, every single person I saw got dramatically more intense. You know, like the, the ways in which they died were just confronting. Suicides, gunshots, knife wounds, Babies, kids, yeah. It was it was just intense. If you can imagine turning up every day and stepping into a space where you're in the room for two or three hours caring for someone and seeing, I could almost feel um, like the, the, there was a guy that died in a knife attack and I could almost see his experience playing out. And in the, in the end, it got a little bit much, to be fair. But that's how I knew for certain that our life and our energy does not end at our physical death because I could feel them, I could hear them. In time, um, I didn't stay with them very long, that funeral home. I went on to work for a big franchise. Um, one time on a service there, I looked at the front row of the funeral and next to the family, there was an empty spot and I saw a golden um, outline sitting next to them and I could feel that it was their loved one just sitting there watching it with them. Things like that used to happen all the time and I started speaking of it 
and I got considered to be crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I know it. And now it feeds into, um, you know, I wouldn't say I just, if I allow, if I really step into the space and allow myself to be really open and present and, and come from a place of love, then I just get these thoughts that are so clearly not mine. And it happens a lot in the grief work. You know, when somebody has died and their person is grieving, I get a lot of answers from them. And then I just say it like, have you thought that perhaps I don't say, guess what? Hubby's telling me this. <laughs> because I don't want to freak them out. Um, I just get these thoughts that are so clearly not mine and I share them. So, yeah, mm. it's it's incredible, but also uh, weighty, you know, emotional and weighty job. I've got so many more questions from just that little, <laughs> little snap. Um, well. So, I mean, how, where, where do I go with this? Okay, yeah, from, from the start. So how, how do you prepare, prepare yourself? So given that you have been overwhelmed, is that okay to say that in, the, in, in your first instance? Is that overwhelmed or just in flux of, of too much information? Um, how do you sort of be able to step into that? Or Yeah, how do you step into that now? So, so how did I go from it being like this massive spiritual download and overwhelm in the beginning to kind of balancing it out? That's the one. Mm. Um, not very well would be my answer. <laughs> um, as I say, it was like it was like the worst experience of my life because of who I worked with my very first um, experience in the funeral industry. But looking back, I realized that I had to be absolutely thrown in the deep end by spirit to say, you need to know that this, because what I was seeing, Dan, was people being very um, disrespectful and dishonorable in the way they care for or don't care for and treat our dead. Mm -hmm. So I know I've had many other lives serving um, the dead. And I, it's like I draw on those remembrances. So I know I worked in Lemuria, which is like Atlantis in that time, in a very, very spiritual way, like where they had created death chambers and death beds and the beds were made of um, crystal. And I would journey with them and walk through into the afterlife and then come back. So I was literally journeying with them. Um, I know I've worked in, as some kind of priestess in Egyptian times. They have these incredible funeral rites, incredible uh, ways of preparing the body to ensure that it goes to the afterlife. And it's like when I do my work here and I look around, I hate the lack of reverence, the lack of connection, the lack of care of the deceased. So I stepped out of that role into another franchise, um, there's a franchise called Invocare that owns a huge number of funeral homes in Australia. Mm. Um, they're all branded different, called different names, but they're all owned by the same. So it's massively profit-driven, and they own cemeteries, crematoriums, and funeral homes. And what I decided to do was be an apprentice and observe what we do, how we do it, and why. Often the why is money. Um, a lot of it went against my ethics, ethics and integrity and what I want to do. And then I took it away and created this role. So that's how I handled it was let me find out everything about how we do. Let me see what fits with me and let me offer what I think people will benefit from. But to be fair, people don't understand the value the value of that connection to being with, caring for and farewelling your loved one in a very hands-on way. Um, mm -hmm. Still a very traditional, uh, you know, part of life, end of life. So I've got to make some money. So I do a lot of the traditional stuff. But eventually our consciousness is going to shift that we will go more like most Indigenous cultures have a beautiful way of caring for their for their dead. They have rituals and practices and processes, all has meaning. And we just pay someone and don't want to be a part of any of it. Mm. So I balance that by knowing I'm doing the damn best I can in the world that I live in. And mm. 
Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that a lot of people are waking up. We're still very child, childish in our understanding of what's important. We're becoming awakened. Look, if, you know, look at all these blokes stepping up and waking up. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, that's that's. I mean, it's leading straight into to my next question: is have you experienced any sort of like acceleration or change over over this period of Sorry. time? Sorry, sorry, stripping off. I'm getting hot. My my spirit team are coming around. Jesus, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I consider myself very um, much a student of life from day one. Um, spiritually interested. I hate saying I'm spiritual because what does that even mean? What does that mean? You know, I'm sure like, you know, um, your friend that you had on last night, it's what it means for each person. Just, you know, you don't have to eat kale and meditate and, you know, say then crystals and angel cards, whatever, to be spiritual. It's a connection back to true self. So I've always been on that path of observing, witnessing, inquiring, questioning. Um, I knew I was very good at the practical stuff, very good at the nurturing and the building rapport and empathy. So the acceleration has been this acceptance of connecting um, to the deceased. The reason I don't open fully to that is I'm scared that if I turn that tap on, it won't stop. And I don't, quite frankly, and they're listening and they're laughing. <laughs> like, I don't want that 24-7. I don't want dead people talking to me. Mm. So I've kind of set up these boundaries of when I am with you and when I'm um, supporting you and when I'm in service to you, you have me 100%. Mm. But after that, go bother someone else. I'd, I'd love and, to know what that, that conscious method that you have of actually going through through that. Is that a, is that a conscious method you do or you've just sort of subconsciously trained and protected yourself? I just have just, it's intent. It's nothing but intent. It's really strong yeah. boundaries. Um, and look, my spiritual team is my sister. So occasionally, um, I see her at funerals when the young people, she turns up. So I did this funeral for a 14 year old boy, Ben, who I just loved. I obviously didn't meet him in life, but I just loved him. I got so connected and he had this massive funeral with just a crowd of people in this hall and me as like doing my job, getting up on stage. I was shitting my pants. I was like, Oh my God. And up until the moment that I got up there, my hands were sweaty. I thought I wasn't going to be able to speak. And I got up on stage at this podium. And as I was looking at it, all these faces, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my sister, Wendy, and Ben. She had her arm around him and they were just, like, smiling at me. So my sister is my why. She led me into this work. And she is my... Um, spiritual warrior like I feel like she's got my back like she probably looks after the peeps if they're getting you know a bit friendly but really they only come through Dan for me when um they have a message to pass on to their family every single time it's been a message or a, like giving me an understanding of what happened or yeah they just don't talk away so I, yeah, I say, okay. oh, yeah, you know, if I didn't have that, I'd be a little bit not that excited to be here because I feel like I've done this a lot before. Let's, let's go. Let's um, go there. Let's, let's, let's go there. Um, yeah, okay, so mental health and this sort of, um, so, you know, what you're, what you're alluding to, what I'm hearing here is, you know, so people would call you crazy if you talk too much, like in the older day, you, like, you know, if you yeah. talk about this too much, mm. but also mm -hmm. what I was hearing from your experience was that, you know, you need to turn that tap off a bit from your first, first sort mm. of introduction to that because it was, was too much, you know? So mm. with the understanding of, of all of this and, and that, what, what, what sort of like, can we just explore that out a little bit? Like what is your yeah, interpretation of, 
um, people hearing voices and and what you're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't. This is such a that's such a can of worms. It's such a big discussion. I don't think I've probably said this much out loud ever. If you see my business page, I'm very professional. I'm very, um, you know, studied. I've got all the qualifications. I've got all the experience. And as I say, I would never go into a family that I'm supporting for a funeral and say, if I hear your loved one talking to me, I'm going to pass on the message. I just, it just filters through. Okay, so if I get a sense of something, I put it in the service. And people always say to me when I create and write and deliver a service, it's like you knew them. And I just go, that's my job. But you know what it is, is that I get a sense of them because they can, they will come through. And so I get a real sense of what's important to convey. And I say to every family, for the time that I'm looking after you, your family member is my family member. I will treat them and honour them as if they are someone I love and know. Personally, yeah. So, <laughs> any of my potential uh, clients in future are going to go. She's fucking nuts. We're never using her. <laughs> but hey, there's only 18 people watching, so we're good. Um, uh, as I uh, said, I don't, yeah. I don't say this out loud, but I have such um, respect and reverence for people that are judged. As I say, I choose to not go out there too woo woo mm -hmm. because. The industry I'm working in has not caught up to, you know, an elevation in consciousness of how we can do it better. My view of funerals, if I could do it, would be outside, chanting, wailing, fire. Uh, you know, it would be incredible. It would be very ritualistic. That's what I yearn to do, and I'm hoping we will get there. Um, but, you know, I have a friend who's incredibly psychic and spiritual who's a doctor. And she works in the existing traditional system. And she says to me that a majority of people, she can read energy and auras and everything. I can't do that. I, can't, I don't have any of that incredible gifts. And um, she says a lot of people that turn up and are being heavily prescribed medication are having actual voices. Whether or not they're, um, you know, low-life entities and whatever, like that. the hearing voices thing is really... As a really a can of worms. I just, I think, because if you're going to start me on that, I have a thing about how we do our end of life, that we can do our end of life far more honourably and connectedly and meaningfully. But then I think all of our antiquated structures fail us. I see time and time again in the people that die, that I serve, that the system is failing them. I see suicides, Dan, male suicides, um, mental health system has failed them. I see babies and toddlers that have died from misdiagnosis because mm -hmm. the medical system has failed them. You know, what, what, is, what, what are you what are you hearing from them? Oh, oh, I see it. I see people dying as a result of, you know, people being turned away or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, so I think everything we do is profit-driven or not quite how we need to start approaching each other, you know, mm -hmm. in kindness and compassion. All of the systems, mental health, the medical system, the end of life. I think education is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I just, and, again, I feel like a crazy person. Like, I think I've been here before and I think I know how to do it better I don't exactly know how but we need to have a fucking good look at everything we do and how we do it and maybe this point in time is exactly what's happening hmm. I hope so yeah, I hope too. so I heard something yesterday by um Neil Donald Walsh he's written a book after 20 years you know he's the guy that did conversations with God hmm. and he's written a book called The Awakened Species that, that there are 16, there's way more, but he's noted down 16 behavior, behaviors of highly evolved species because it is so arrogant to think that we are evolved or intelligent in the cosmos. <laughs> We're kindergarten, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And he just did really basic things like we are a, a culture and a world that deals with the inability to resolve conflict with violence. That's our answer. 
highly evolved, <laughs> you know. So I just do the very best I can in the constraints of what is. And I try to push the boundaries and um, teach people a little bit, allow them to understand that there's meaning to be made in doing things different, look at the options, feel them out, just do things a little bit different. But I get tired of saying the same thing and no one really hearing. And the weight of this work is heavy emotionally. Yeah. Holding people in their greatest time of sorrow is very weighty. And how I've counteracted that is by starting to do um, performance, which is my original love. So I need a form of self-expression. Just be stupid, be silly, whatever. That's my self-care. I just saw a question, well, a statement. <laughs> that mm. it's, um, it, it is one of those statements, you are uh, one of those big big points and I, I wouldn't mind hearing you talk into it. I don't know if you saw it as well. On, is this uh, voluntary euthanasia? <laughs> okay. I am not going to openly share my view okay. on voluntary euthanasia. Um, it's irrelevant. It is totally irrelevant in the work I do. But here's the thing. My sister had cancer for six years and she died beautifully. She died really engaged. And when I say she died, you know, it takes a long time for your body to shut down and die when you have um, a life-limiting illness. She had um, cancer of the lymph system, so it wasn't a major organ. Mm. But the, the day of her death, her actual death, was horrible. For two days prior to her death, her um, pain medication pump stopped working. So for two days, she begged to die. She, she cried. She pleaded with me to make the pain go away and to help her. 22 years ago, that was, and that still sticks with me. It still really, really pisses me off because she deserved better. And I, mm. and I didn't know what to do about it. And it was so frustrating. So should there have been something that we could have done for her in a heartbeat? Fuck yes. But in the work I do, I can't have an opinion, Dan. So if I'm helping you, you have a terminal illness, you know you've got three months to live, I can't tell you how to die. Yeah. It's not my place. Your death is your death. Your life, your decisions, your death, your decisions. What I can do is inform you about options. I can help you see your way through it and then I'm there to hold your hand through every step of it. So if you choose um, assisted suicide, mate, I'm there because I'm there to hold you through your death and to you that is a good death. So to me, I've done my job. Yeah, I love that. That um, Yeah, no need for an opinion on that. You know, I'm, I'm just being a, well, um, I don't really know. I don't, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I back all the petitions because the, at the very basis of everything is that we should have that option. Mm -hmm. We should have that option. Um, you know, there's countries like um, Switzerland that have an, the program called Exit. It's been around for years. It's like medical insurance. It's just a standard option. Mm -hmm. And people don't take advantage of it because it's just there. It's like that beautiful safety net, like, should I just go into palliative care and be managed or should I do, you know, assisted suicide? Eh, I'll see. Okay. Uh, on, like, what just came to me now is, okay, you've got quite an experience with um, looking into all this and Indigenous cultures and all that. So what, how, what's the sort of your knowledge into what they would be, like how they would approach this particular area do you have any assisted suicide yeah a lot of oh my gosh religion no way <laughs> any I'll, any I'll... Um, you know anything that is um supported by religion would never opt to take you, I'm, I'm you cannot into, yeah i'm more talking into the um our more awakened brothers and sisters, you know, um, indigenous cultures, etc. Yeah, I, that's such a good question. And I'm going to go away and find that out because I reckon they're not for that either. Okay, mm. so here's where my, that's why I have grey area. I have grey area because spiritually, and I just use that word, I just use that word because it's a go-to yeah. word. Spiritually, yeah. I feel like, it is not my my right to decide when and how I, I step out. Mm -hmm. It's not my right. I don't know exactly what I'm here to learn. 
I don't know exactly what my path is. And what I do know is that even when people are bed bound with barely any function in their body, there are moments of absolute exquisite beauty. There are still so many ways to communicate and so many incredible learnings right up until the end. So I don't know. I feel it's a little bit arrogant for me to go, I don't want any of that pain. You know, it's a little bit like childbirth is fucking painful, <laughs> all you beautiful mamas out there. Someone said to me, you know, like we labour in. As beautiful mothers bringing life into this world, we labour in. Some of us labour with blood and tears and agony. Our bodies get broken. Mine didn't. I had an incredible birth. <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, but we labour out as our bodies shut down. Same thing. We've got this natural intelligence. Um, you know, our body, if you get out of the way, your body will birth. So just leave me alone. Your body will birth. It's this natural intelligence. It's incredible. It is miraculous. If you get out of the way when someone's dying, their body will shut down and labor out. Sometimes that, you know, involves fluid and blood and pain and a bit of suffering. Who are we to say that's wrong? We're so clinical in how we want, you know, we don't want to see a dead person. We don't want to feel any pain when we give birth. We don't want to see people in pain dying. That is not the way it is. And I feel, and I could be right, could be wrong, that the Indigenous cultures get that, really get that. And also because, here we go, here's the answer, thank you. They don't fear death. They don't fear death. Death is not the end. So they just let you get on with it. You're tapped in, sister. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. Death is not the end, so you would not fear it. So mm -hmm. a lot of pain that I've seen, Dan, from people that are dying is not physical. It's existential. It's where am I going? Did I live a good life? Have I resolved my conflicts? What will I be remembered for? People that get to their end of life with regrets and guilt and shame and baggage, that's why I'm all about look at your baggage now. Don't take that there because it's really painful. A lot of people in physical pain, they're given all the comfort measures and it would address the pain. It's not physical. So I reckon Indigenous cultures welcome the opportunity to journey home and they probably have a lot less fear than, than Western society. That was my answer. God, there's a really long way to go about it. <laughs> I don't know because I haven't witnessed. I haven't witnessed the dying process in Indigenous communities. I would love to see that. I'd love to go to Northern Territory and see um, if they do it different and how they do it. Wow, we 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 yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Danny, I um, don't see a death either. I, I, I say this all the time. If I was to die today, I would be excited. It is mm. such a grand adventure. Such a grand. And that's not to, to disrespect my life. It's not because I think life is shit and please just get me out of here now. Mm. But I don't fear it. A tiny bit of fear, I have to be truthful, around the how. I don't particularly mm. want pain either. Um, mm. And right now, if I was to die right now, um, disappointment in not being able to do what I know I'm here to do. I've got some stuff to do. And I have a seven-year-old, and my absolute commitment is to be there till she's grown. But death itself, hell no, I can't wait. My little sister, as she was dying, tried to take me with her. She said to me, if I could show you. So she kept drifting. When you're uh, close to dying and you drift in and out of consciousness, you leave your body and come back. And when you come back, it's really disorientating. It's like, where the hell am I? Oh, my God, I'm still stuck in this heavy, horrendous body. And when she would come back, she'd say, Lisa, oh, my God, if I could show you where I'm going, you would not shed a tear. It is beautiful. I'm like, well, I'm shedding a tear because I'm going to miss you, goddammit. I miss you. I want you in my life. Mm. Uh, she tried to describe it to me, but there weren't even words. There weren't mm. even words. She's like, I don't know how to tell you. She wrote a dolphin in. 
And then um, she had a lot of spiritual support and healing and her uh, guru said, how about I do a meditation with you and Lisa and I will try and take Lisa there and show her to give her comfort. And I just couldn't. I was just freaked out. Like, she's like, I can't look in there. Can I look through, you know, peer beyond the veil? Mm. But I know my sister as well as I know myself. We were like twins. She's five years younger, but we were like twins. We had our own little language and everything. And um, every word she said just spoke to my heart. I knew it was true. So I was like, it's glorious. Where we're going is glorious. It sure is. But don't take my word for it. <laughs> Someone said to me one time, now, what makes you an expert on death? And I said, well, because I have died and come back many, many more times, many times, more times than I can count, and I'm none the worse for it. Mm. <laughs> I've lived and died many, 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 many times. Yeah. Wow. I kind of want to go to this experience of mine. So my experience of yes, good. Of waking Sorry, up. Sorry, just taking the time with it. How are we going for time? I haven't even got a clock around me. <laughs> it's twenty. It's, I don't. It's twenty past ten. Is anybody got, bored? Ah, uh, as know. you can see, it's I have no trouble. And come back. Yeah. Oh, no, now, now, now you need to talk. Yeah. Now you need to, I have no trouble talking because this is my favourite, most favourite thing in the whole damn world. But I want to hear, because I asked you, have you had a near-death experience and what's your view on death? I want to hear that. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, look, I, I have had some... Look, for me, it's, it's a little bit weird because a, a fair few of mine were being, were like while in consumption of heavy amounts of drugs and alcohol. So it's pretty foggy. But mm -hmm. what I'm doing at the moment is, is feeling through all that, that energy and, and, and um, yeah, sort of exploring that at the moment and, and healing in that way. Um, to, to talk about actual conscious reflections, um, I don't have much apart from wanting to die most of my life and that sort of more goes to that point of um not fitting into this human body or whatever that is you know um so i guess that's a not really on the on the death thing what i do have a very conscious experience and recent experience is death and rebirth death and rebirth death and rebirth in in more of a will go spiritual spiritual way mm. um and that that leads back into what you were talking about with the um, with this this pain, this physical pain, sort of interesting area. Um, so coming through the awakening period, which has really only been in the last just over eighteen months, um, I've had these massive shift of times where it's it's been excruciating. I you know spun out in reality and and really had a really tough time to just stay stay here. Um, mm. and, and but moving through that, and the, the pain was was epic. You know, I wasn't. I mean, I also had a chronic back injury, but that's not the point. This 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 pain of this whatever coming out to you know the ego removal. You know that rebirth, mm. that ego death, and the rebirth of one of better words is excruciating. You know, and I've been reflecting on that with um, how we. If we don't deal with this stuff now and heal ourselves in, a, in that shorter, like in that longer period of, of life, is when we get to death, are we dealing with that now? And is that part of all that shit and pain in there? You know, what you were alluding to before. Hell yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so now we're going to move into grief. Okay, so. When I speak of grief, people automatically assume that's when someone dies, we grieve. But we grieve in life over and over and over again. Grief is not the death of someone, it's the death of something. And we're not taught any of this, Dan, from, from young. We're not taught that death is a reality, life is impermanence, all that lives must die. And we're not taught that we grieve separation, endings, um, what we expected and didn't receive, 
Um, we we grieve ancestral grief. We bring through pains from other freaking generations. We grieve for the earth. We grieve for how we treat one another. There are so many ways we grieve. And the idea is that's why we come with that, why that's in a, a, just a natural response. It's because we're supposed to learn <laughs> to feel the pain when it happens in our life. This is what we need to teach our kids. You know, they lose a best friend or their friend moves away and it hurts them. We have to really honour that space and say, feel that pain. Let the tears come. Tell me about it. Let's honour them. Let's, you know, keep a picture of them or whatever. If you feel the pain, work with it, journey with it, shift it through you, surrender to who that makes you after, and you do that over and over again for every grief in your life, you are practicing for the final greatest stepping out. It's like grief is there to teach us that we can let go of people that we love, that we can deal with death better, that we can deal with preparing for our own death better because we're used to surrender and release. That's why it's there. <laughs> and we don't grieve. We don't acknowledge it. We don't speak of it. We don't share it, witness it, or honour it. And when we even grieve for the death of someone, we do it badly. So, yes, there are multiple deaths in our life on every level. And exactly that same thing, that the death of ego, the death of, um, you know, letting go of expectations, trauma. Yeah. I'm doing my own stuff around that um, recently and I'm still not there. Yeah, we're not meant to carry this shit as we go, but older generations have failed us and that doesn't make me perfect but from day one I've spoken to my daughter about death she knows she's seen a dead body when my father died last year she came and sat with him we speak about my death all the time uh, and that's not people uh, other mothers at school uh, think I'm weird and freaky and tell me that I shouldn't speak to her about it we also had ghosts in our old house and she went to school and told everyone we had five ghosts in our house, which we did. <laughs> but if we taught our kids that to feel pain is okay and particularly males and we had a space to do that, we taught them how to grieve, we taught them how to release, we taught them that all that lives must die, the terms and conditions of being here in this freaking flesh suit for the duration of our time here, whatever time that is, and it's never, ever granted to us how long they would have some resilience they would have some tools and people have none people that know they're going to die I go to them and say what did they want for their funeral what did they believe about the afterlife and they go we never spoke of it like they were dying for six months and you never spoke of it it's just to me it's insane because this is like breathing but I understand that my benchmark is you know, a million times higher than the average person. To me, this is just, <laughs> it's the one thing that's guaranteed and we barely speak of it. And grief is tied in with that and trauma is tied in with that and all the hurts of our life that we don't deal with will end up in our body and in our energetic field at our death. So my advice always, if we don't want to talk about the woo-woo death stuff, is deal with your shit now. Please deal with your shit now as well as you can. How 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 do you how do you do that without the woo-woo? Oh no, do it with the woo-woo. Get all the woo-woo you can. <laughs> Try again, there's no one, you know, one size fits all. In my younger years, I mean, I'm a, I'm a qualified counsellor because I, I believe that counselling and psychology and psychotherapy was that shit. That's what you do. And it does work beautifully for some people, but now as I've witnessed people in their pain so much, I understand that, um, you know, trauma and grief and pain is actually captured in our bodies. So we've got to work with our bodies and the wisdom of the body. It's the somatic bodywork that works. 
But people don't know to do that in grief. It's not something that's commonly done. You go to a grief counsellor and you talk about how does that make you feel when you give them coping strategies for life instead of letting them feel and move and shift. Yeah, it's, it's all part of the same thing. You know, we're here and we just... We're all the same. We're all doing the same. We all feel the same. We all have hopes and dreams and fears and loves. And we need to look after our babies better so that they have a better time than we have had. I mean, I'm coming up to 50. So I'm guessing I'm a fair bit older than you. <laughs> so I even come from a different generation again. Um, and I started my inquiry into this when I was about 20 so I've been doing it for a long time so I love seeing people in their 20s and their mid-20s and their late 20s diving into this it's like hell yeah and let's also start with our kids let's let's start having conversations about death and grief and hurts and whatever yeah yeah and now, this spiritual thing, it's a very much a theme that came from last night and tonight, you know. It's, mm. and, and quite some time, only really new to the spiritual stuff or the spiritual life. Um, You're not. It's, it's, well, I, I realise that, but to be open about it or to be fully yeah. standing in it. Um, but it's, it's yeah, I mean, for want of a better word, I guess, you know, is, is there, yeah. I guess we're just getting into semantics about it. It's the best word we've got at this point in time. Um, and I guess we don't need to worry too much, but it just seems like, you know, it just does not cover what we are, what we are going into here with, with all the energy work, with all that. But I guess it, it does. That doesn't matter. Um, I have digressed out of that conversation, so maybe it's time for another que for a question. We haven't needed really one yet. Um Look, I, I'm getting feedback all of a sudden now. Um, uh, what I wanted to speak into, um, talking about, you know, the um, prevalence of people taking drugs, like, mm -hmm. and I forget his name, I'm so sorry, who was your friend from last night, Chris? Yep, mm. Chris. Yep. So... What happens commonly is that when people take psychedelics or um, psilocybin or whatever, it opens up. It takes away all our boundaries, all our blocks, and opens us up directly to source. And I think they knew that in the 70s. <laughs> they like, yeah. You know, Ram Dass, who's a you know spiritual guru, his whole basis was just to, to take have trips and open up. And the... What I'm loving seeing is um, what's coming up in the field of end of life is that people that have fear and anxiety around their dying, knowing they're going to die, are now being treated with psychedelics mm -hmm. because we need to bypass all our physical human fears and go straight to source or understanding or the divine and allay those fears. I saw this incredible thing, I think it was on 60 Minutes, the cop that was really involved in the Port Arthur massacre who came in and saw all the, the, the dead bodies from that time has had incredibly bad debilitating PTSD, couldn't function in life at all. And then he got treated in America with um, MDMA. And what that did was they put him under the influence of drugs and he went back into the trauma he went back into the day and he journeyed. And what happened was the dead people, God love them. This makes me cry thinking about it. In that experience of his therapy, the dead people got up and spoke to him and said, it's okay, it's not your fault, you need to let us go now. They loved on him and they gave him their understanding and he could finally let it go. Mm -hmm. So... The world of, of drugs is so useful in opening up our connection to um, 
to, to understanding. And I'd love to see that as common therapy. And I really want to see that as a common thing in treating our end of life. I mean, who doesn't want to be on their deathbed? I can tripping their nut off. <laughs> well, you know, or, or really connecting to where they're going. How beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely... Um... Well, yeah, it goes down that road, and I've got quite an experience of, of psychedelics. Um, and there's that intent to get the fucking get fucking high and and whatever, mm. and then using yeah. using it for spiritual intent or you know for seeking the intent of seeking is completely a completely different thing I've found for me. Um, maybe it's because I had so much other stuff in me at the same time I was doing these sort of things or whatever, yeah. I'm not sure, but it's, um, I have, yeah, I've, I've in, in the past looked right into where, yeah, where people are going. There's some amazing stuff with around addiction and, and whatever as well um, that's being mm. done, some amazing works. I can't get his, can't get his name, but oh, you may be familiar with a guy, I think he's a Canadian um, doctor that sort of gave up on traditional, well, traditional, mm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Talk, um, talk therapy. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just think that, like, when we talk about, um, you know, trauma and addictions and addictive behaviour and taking drugs, there is such a place for healing in using drugs for the in the right way and with um, intent and boundaries and uh, the right dosage. And, um, but, you know, I'm fascinated with the end of life stuff, but I would like to. So my my big workshop dream that I had planned is to basically take people on a journey to feel, look at and address their death now in the middle of their life. To really go there, to really feel all the feels, including, you know, part of a funeral and, um, you know, being told they've got limited time, saying their goodbyes, um, meditation to take them into a, leaving their physical body and then um, being present at their own funeral to really look at their death now because facing that in the middle of your life when you're fit and healthy and active brings such clarity to what's important. I say to people all the time, if I'm going to run your funeral tomorrow, Dan, so say you die and I'm going to do a bloody good job because that's what I'm good at, what am I going to say about you? Mm. Right now, what's going to be said about you? Is that where you want to be? Like the gap between what is going to be said now and what you would love to be said at your in your eulogy, the story of your mm. life, is where you need to start the work. Yeah. Well, I'm in a blessed situation to have been, sort of have been there. Um, it was only a year ago I'd, I pictured myself in a box and even got my knuckles tattooed because it looked nice in that box. So... Um, to have, but they've um, already been through that process. Yeah, no, it, hmm. is, it, is, it is really nice. Um, and to, to step but through But you went that, through um, that in a, in a um, loving way or in a I can't wait to get the fuck out of here way, so let me plan it just because it makes me feel good? Um, neither. It was just the way. <laughs> okay, cool. Because I have a coffin, well, I have a coffin in, in my garage right now. I have a coffin in my garage that I'm decorating. And I want everybody to lie, lie in an actual coffin and contemplate um, their death. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that experience where I was then to where I am now is a completely, yeah, it is a completely different thing, having been through a lot of that processing, you know. Um, for me, you know, meditation is the same as psychedelics. I've had the same experiences mm. at times. Amazing. Both of it's just a lot more work involved, I guess, with the meditation. But I think we're stepping through and we're gearing up on much quicker ways to access access that. And I, I think that's definitely something that's happening right now as well. All right. So tell me this. Do you, what's your view of um, life after death or the afterlife or what happens when our physical body stops functioning here on our earthly journey do you have a sense of that I don't, yeah, there's no right or wrong no there is no right or wrong um yeah look, mm -hmm. i have a definite sense of that um i i fully believe that maybe if i have um worked through a lot of, of, of healing processes you know maybe i may not return here you know maybe you know i don't know an absolute but 
I know that, you know, there's a lot more about than just my human body in this three-dimensional place. You know, I've traveled plenty to know, know better than that. Um, to be exploring and further and further, it gets bigger and bigger. But is that, a, and is that a comfort for you in your life, Dan? Is that a comfort knowing that we're not just this, that we're not? Because sometimes I think if, if I thought there was no life after death, if I thought there was no other intelligence or beings or, you know, life would be real Groundhog Day and I would think, what is the fucking point? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> like it's, I, yeah. I it's, it's, it's from it's that knowledge. I've never, I've never experienced in my life now. You know, this this inner peace that I that I live in now, um, I could not live in this body without drugs or alcohol prior to that. So you know, that's yeah. that's my experience. Um, and so now coming to that realization and and you know, working to release all this energy and and starting to go further on where I'm going with that, it's um, it is it is a beautiful thing. Look at that smile. God bless you, Dan. You're a beautiful human being. You really are. I'm so. I'm so um, privileged to know you. Mm, likewise, privileged as well. I am. I see. I had a. I said to Sarah. Sarah said to me that she's got a soft spot for you, and I said, "Me too. I've got a soft spot for Dan." <laughs> and, and I don't want to generalise, but you know, these beautiful males who are owning their shit and um, stepping into who they truly are and speaking their truth is just divine. I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. No. Oh God, it's not the easy. It's not the easy way. Hell no. Hell no. But l- long term, it will be. I, I promise. Oh, long term. Oh, every every time. I mean, everything I step through, it's just that period. Then it's a it's a nice little calm, beautiful place to be, and then something else will will come around, and I'll have to look at it and deal with it, and, and then move through that as well. It's um, it just is now. That's the process. If you're if you're awake enough to see what's coming your way, and and, and using that as an opportunity to learn, well, then it's not an, it's not an issue. I, I I tend to look at things now when it comes up that if I catch myself in that disturbed state, you know, I'm like, oh. What is this? Okay, cool. And now even gets to a point when I can just release, release energy, essentially. I don't need to spend too much time thinking about it, which is quite handy. <laughs> so handy. I'm, I'm far from a perfect human being myself. I, you know, the, the um, realities of life are still challenging, but I got the death stuff down pat. So if anyone ever needs help with that, then please, please, please reach out. Mm. Yeah. Just putting it out there, doing a bit of plug for self care. <laughs> <laughs> do it, do it. Um, yeah, well, I'm kind of lost for time here, but yeah, I think we I think, could probably talk we... for the next three hours. Oh, yeah. look, I could talk forever, but I feel like it's coming to a natural conclusion. Me too. Mm. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you to it's everybody awesome. that watched and hung in there. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, that's... um. Yeah, wow. One last, one last question, and I think I'm going to be asking everyone. Don't this. ask me if I'm awake, Bogan. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm with with absolute. It's hard to believe. I'm a long-term worshipper of Bogans, <laughs> and in my youth, probably wasn't a Bogan, but I got to hang out with them. Oh, I loved them. My my boys in their black jeans and their Led Zeppelin t-shirts and um, tell me what your definition of a bogan is. Look, I, I don't know. This is this is just a bit of fun, really. Um, yeah. bogan, um, an Aussie bloke that you know that's um, being able to stand up and 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 own own his shit, I guess. Um, that's the woke part. The bogan is, is yeah. Look, a lot of Aussie blokes. I I it's. Well, how, how do you define someone? I think I, I just like asking the question more the point um, to see, you know, it, what people identify is or, or why they identify that, you know. Um, yeah, look, I'm an Aussie bloke, so I'm a bogan. I've got all the rough edges. I speak like that. Yeah. I say fuck a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've also got a, a, a huge heart, and I think a lot of Aussie blokes do. They just don't yeah, um, I agree. Have to stand, stand in that and, and, and yeah. Just, just live, live there. So, 
Um, so was that was that your last question, or you got a, a, a got unique a one for me? For you, that's, <laughs> we're, we'll end it on that. I think with um, did you say whether you you just love the love the bogans? Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone would ever classify me as a bogan. Um, one of my exes used to call me a his little librarian. <laughs> I think I come across as a little bit academic and whatever, whatever. But look, I'm I'm real and I'm authentic. And as I say, I used to um, hang out with Bogans as many, many moons ago. Though, God, I can barely remember that part of my life. But um, I'm, as I say, long-term fan and worshipper of all the Bogans. Bogans unite. Mm. Thanks so much for this, Lisa. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. And yeah, pleasure. I'm the light the low battery sign, so yeah. Yep, you got to jump. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks, Jen. I'll speak to you soon. Big love. Okay, see ya. Bye. 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 Ooh. Okay. Well, that is another um, combo with a white bogan. <laughs>